Charles Bronson is Jack Murphy. Stay away from me, He's a renegade cop. For years, he's made his own rules. Have a nice day, Arabella. I eat it, toe jam. Bronson is back. Don't mess with Jack Murphy. But now, he's been set up. You're under arrest, smart guy. You've got a dozen witnesses. Ballistics identified your gun as the murder weapon. You're going to jail, Jack. I heard they arrested a cop. What the hell are you doing? And she's his only way out. Please. Someone's framed me for three murders. Now they're both running for their lives. Charles Bronson is Jack Murphy. Murphy's gotten out. Now he's getting even. Charles Bronson. Murphy's Law. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. I am your host, Scott White. And this podcast is a first for me because I have a guest on. But we this is, we have never met before, have we? Uh, introduce yourself, please, first. Well, my name is Eric Todd. I am the host of This Week in Charles Bronson, another bronze cast that's out there. We don't know each other. We found each other on Facebook because we're both Charles Bronson fans. So I invited him on my podcast, and we are going to talk about the 1986 movie Murphy's Law. Yes, which is a classic. It is a classic. Now, Eric, uh, let me. When did you first become? When did you first discover Bronson? Let me ask you that before we get started. I was about fourteen years old. Now I'm forty six, so we're talking about nineteen eighty nine, I guess. I had a stumble. I had I'd seen him in commercials, and I thought he was interesting looking. And one night, Evil That Men Do was playing on Channel 17 out of Philadelphia here. That's a UHF station, for those who remember UHF. And I watched it, um, you know, not not from the beginning. I was stumbling through the channels, and I watched probably uh, the second half or three quarters of it. And uh, I was just obsessed right away with the – it was a different kind of action movie. There was something dirtier and grittier. And not long after that, I was home one night while my parents were out and I watched uh, Death Wish on HBO, uncensored. And, for, you know, at that time, I mean, kids nowadays, they see everything, but I didn't. That was that was that blew my mind. I'm a bit I'm a bit older than you. I'm 53. So when this movie I saw this movie in the theater, Murphy's Law, because when this movie came out, I I just I was around 17. I probably just, so I was old enough to get into rated R movies. So this was one of the first movies I saw with Charles Bronson. I didn't know anything about his past. Or I, I thought it was a cool poster. It was an action movie. It was an eighties. And I went in and I remember loving the movie and that started my path on enjoying Charles Bronson projects. Yeah. We talk about it on um, this week in Charles Bronson on our first episode, but my being 
what is it now, six, five years younger than you. It actually makes it, I was a little odd to be 14. And like, he was kind of, I think after I became a fan, I think Kinjata and maybe Death Wish 5 were in the theaters after that. Um, but he was pretty much on his way out when I discovered him. And I was, uh, I was a maniac. I mean, I owned and still do own, not as much as I had back then, but I owned all kinds of posters, pictures, anything I could get my hands on. I was a, I was an, a lunatic. Well, uh, let's speak of lunatics. We've got one in this movie. Uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, so we're going to talk about Murphy's Law, 1986. It's a canon movie. And you were talking about Bronson beyond his, I, I think canon sort of saved Bronson's career at the end because he did all, you know, his, his star was sort of waning and then Golan and Globus, you know, the Canon guys uh, brought Bronson into the fold and that just gave him sort of a, like a boost in his career, you know, when he was in his sixties. Yeah, definitely. And those movies were cheap. Um, and they were, they were, um, you know, they, they, they could bring in a lot of cash, you know, they would make a, because every, like my grandfather, my uncles, they all love Bronson and most, and almost everybody's seen the Bronson movies when they came, even if, but even though, like, like I said, most kids my age weren't fanatical about them. You know what I mean? Most, most kids my right. age were fanatical about Nintendo or, uh, I don't know what, but, um, he was one of those names that you just seen just like Clint Eastwood. Like I'm going to see every Clint Eastwood movie that comes out, even if it doesn't look good. Cause it's Clint Eastwood, you know, it was the so, same yeah. thing with Cannon and Chuck Norris. They, they did the same thing with him too. He had all those Cannon movies. At the time I thought they were the greatest movies on earth. I didn't see the humor in them until I got older. And now that I'm older, I see the humor in them. I'm like, well, this could be, I could talk about something that I love, but still make it funny. Cause I do do stand-up comedy and um, I do stand-up comedy in that world. I saw that I was yeah. uh, stalking you on Facebook. <laughs> you are actually friends with some people that I'm friends with. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure we have mutual friends in the stand-up community, but you were talking about how these Canon movies were made cheap. I believe the biggest part of the budget was Bronson's paycheck for the most part. Well, yeah, he was a million dollars a movie, I believe. Yeah. Which doesn't sound like much these days, but in, I want to say 76 or 77, or maybe it was earlier. It might have been earlier. Somewhere in the 70s, he became the highest paid actor in the world. And that was at right about a million dollars. That's what I read. Uh, so, well, let's just get into it. Uh, Murphy's Law, the, it starts off with... Uh, Charles Bronson, he, we see him walking out of a convenience store. He's holding all these groceries. And then it cuts to uh, this uh, other character. She's a car thief. And she goes to steal Bronson's car. Oh, uh, yeah. And she goes to steal Bronson's car. And Charles Bronson, in just all about all of his movies, you always hear him hell, hey! And he yells at her. And she drives <laughs> off in his car. And he throws the groceries on the windshield. And she plows into a dry cleaner and runs away and he catches her. And this we, is all um, within so the I'm, first couple minutes. I mean, this is, this movie does not mess around. We get right to the action, right? You know, this is, this is why the credits are playing. We're seeing all this. Right. And he's got that booming. Hey, 
You can't steal my car. My car! Yeah, that's what he says. You're right. He we goes, did, hey, you can't steal my car! <laughs> we did the same film this week on my program, which we haven't put out yet. Oh. Uh, whoever's whoever's comes out first, it don't matter. But um, yeah, it's exactly... The, the only thing that we brought up before that was I could not understand why his eggs were sideways in his in his in his shopping bag that drove me nuts was he that much of an alcoholic um just not give a damn of a person that he would put his eggs his egg carton sideways in his shopping bag uh, oh you mean you mean vertically yes um yeah. yeah well i'm i'm pretty sure he didn't pack his maybe the 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 bus boy not the bus boy but the checkout kid you know she he right. was the one who put the eggs in but that just uh, set him off on a bad foot for that evening right. as it is. Yeah. <laughs> and he catches this, uh, he catches this uh, foul mouth uh, woman who tried to, st- and she, and she's typical eighties punk. She's got the leather on. She's got the, the colored hair that's flopping down in her face. It's like, she is eighties personified that character. Yes. <laughs> we were talking about it on my program we were talking about like what were they going for and i and that's what i said i said i think they were going for punk and uh one of my guests did some really deep research and found that joan jett wanted that part and was like after that part could you imagine a charles bronson joan jett joint i read that as well and she didn't get the part but she stayed friends with charles bronson and jill ireland till both of their deaths Afterwards. That's strange. That's a that's something you don't picture. But, yeah, um, you don't picture J- Joan Jett stopping over Bronson's house for coffee. I love rock and roll. <laughs> you know, I, I, th- you know, it's funny because every story about Charles Bronson that you ever read, it's either he was this like ticking time bomb, angry person, or he was the nicest, sweetest man on the planet. Like you don't ever hear any in between. No, yeah, you're right about that. He's either, yeah, he was, I, I remember a story I remember. He was in uh, the Dirty Dozen and the director of the Dirty Dozen, when they're all lined up and they're going by one by one, Bronson was not a tall man. Bronson was only like five seven, five seven five eight. He was not a tall man. And during that lineup, the director put... Donald Sutherland, who was 6'4", and this other actor whose name I can't remember, but he was 6'6". So he put Bronson in between these two much taller men than he was. And he said that just pissed Bronson off for some reason. It said it made him look silly. Right. Yeah. I, I think maybe Jill softened him up a bit because you also hear stories about we did evil that men do. And there's a story that him and her like adopted a Mexican child for the the duration that they were there in Mexico filming the movie and like fed him and let him hang out on the set and stuff. <laughs> I don't know what the hell they did with him when they left. Yeah. <laughs> it was back to whatever. But back to but Bronson, uh, back to the Murphy's Law, Bronson catches this woman and he cuffs her, but she ends up kicking him in the nuts and running away. So she runs away with the with the cuffs on Bronson doesn't do all of his stunts, but he does 
a lot of physical a lot of physical activity in this movie and he was 64 when this movie came out when this right. when they filmed it now he wasn't doing Jackie Chan stuff but he was doing a lot of running and a lot of jumping and a lot of climbing he he did a he did a majority of his own stuff which is when he when you're that's impressive at that age yeah definitely and they used to always like to say I, you're, you probably remember in the 80s, they used to always like to say that everybody did their own stunts. I can always, I remember hearing that about him, Chuck Norris, uh, Burt Reynolds, but I don't think anybody does all their own stunts. No. Except they, for maybe Jackie Chan. Except for maybe Jackie Chan, but they couldn't do all their stunts just for liability reasons. If, if Charles Bronson got injured or killed doing a stunt, you know, that that puts the movie in the toilet and all that, plus litigation. So, yeah, I'm pretty lower, lower scale stunts, but anything big they weren't they weren't doing just because it just wasn't realistic to do it that way. Uh, we cut to the next day. Uh, we cut to Bronson getting a phone call. And uh, we you you've uh, mentioned it before, but it turns out the gist of the story in the beginning is. Uh, Bronson's wife has left him and he is slowly becoming an alcoholic and he's a cop and he gets this call. Something's happened. We don't know what it is yet. And we see him stumbling around his apartment, getting ready for the morning. And, and the credits are still rolling at this time. And I don't know if you know it. Well, the director is Jay Lee Thompson, who directed quite a few of Bronson's movies. Everything from, I think like 84 on or something. Something like that. Yeah. He uh, But the co-producer is his wife, Jill Ireland. She co-produced this movie. This was the uh, time where I believe she was recovering from her breast cancer and she was, she went back into acting, but I believe she gave up acting for a while just for her health, just to recover. So I, she, I guess she took the, the role of producer. So this was probably one of those until she got back into acting. So I thought that was kind of neat that she was, because Bronson and uh, Jill Ireland, that, that's a, that was a true love story. You, you could, despite everything you've seen, everything you, and everything you've heard, those two were, those two were really in love. But yeah, it was always fun to see them work together. I was listening to your assassination uh, episode earlier today, and I, it was taking me back to what a fun it's one of the worst pieces of shit. It really is, but it's one of the. It's really a lot of fun. Like the, it's it, they're fun to see together, and I think he got her. He always got her apart if he could, but a lot of times he, um, yeah, he could always find something for her because I think she has some kind of small executive producer or something credit on the evil that men do as well. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I have been wrong before. <laughs> well, we it, it ends up that. Uh, Bronson has to go. They find the body of this of this hooker under a bridge, and this is where we meet. We meet his partner at the time. They look at the body and they find this medallion next to the body, and it's like so. This is I I love this, but this is sort of really lazy writing here. It's like they find this medallion with the killer's name on it. It says Anthony Mendoza. He holds it up. It's like, wow, that's right. really con- that's really convenient writing right there. Yeah, the writing, and it's funny that you brought up the writing because I actually 
I forgot to mention Gail Morgan Hickman, the writer on my on my podcast when we did this. And so when you asked me to do this, I said, oh, I'll just bring it up on there. And um, I, I find it hard to believe that someone who, I mean, he wrote like uh, the, you know, he wrote a few a handful of movies, and albeit they were like cheesy action movies. But I, I wonder, like, do the, does the original writer write some of those those things like that? Like, why would the guy kill her and leave the necklace on her? You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. That's just, and like, in a, I hate to bring up, I don't want to bring up a, a, another movie, but when I was listening to your assass- assassination episode today, I was laughing when they tell him he's. He has to watch the. He doesn't. He's not watching the president. He's watching the first lady. He goes. I've heard some things. I've been reading about her. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I would think. I would hope so. You're in a secret service. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. You, you might want to be up on that. Yeah. Right. Like, like even I, like a guy who's not a writer, knows that the better line would have been like, "I've been reading her file," or "I've been, you know, going over." Yeah. You know, I don't know. Something that's more. I don't know. Job so, related. Yeah. Job related. Yeah. yeah. Use the word like a word, big word, like protocol or something. <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> uh, but so yeah. the yeah. So they pull up this medallion and it says Anthony, Anthony Mendoza. And apparently Anthony, Anthony Mendoza is a is a big pimp in town. He's a high class pimp. These are high class women, high class hookers, high class. And all high class, nothing but high class, nothing but high class. And um, uh, so the next scene, we go to a restaurant and uh, Bronson and his partner are talking to Frank, who is Anthony's brother and their mother. Hey, Frank, how's the cocaine business? I wouldn't know. Oh, that's right. You're not a drug dealer. You're an importer. And your brother's not a scum sucking pimp. He's a talent agent. This is my mother here. Don't talk that way in front of my mother. Who the hell do you think you are? I'll tell you who I am. I'm the man who's going to arrest your brother for murder. Haven't seen him. Well, when you do, you tell him the smart thing to do is turn himself in. Because this time we got him by the balls. I'm sorry. I don't mean balls. I mean chandeliers. We have him by the chandelier. You're interrupting our meal. Beat it. Well, Murphy, let me ask you, you ever hear of Murphy's Law? If anything can possibly go wrong, it will. A lot of things could happen to someone like you. You could get run over by a truck. The gas heater in your apartment could blow up, or you could lose a wheel going down the freeway at 80 miles an hour. You gotta remember that. The only law I know is Jack Murphy's Law. That's very simple. Don't with Jack Murphy. You remember that? Yes. That mother was great. She that mother was, was like, great. That that's the that's the stereotypical Italian mom in every mobster movie. I want him a dead. He was a good boy. It was like <laughs> she reminded me of the old lady in the original Wolfman from like the 50s. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there was a lot of great women in this. Like this, I, we talked about this on my podcast, but the, it was a very strong, like, I mean, Kathleen Wilhoyt, who played Arabella McGee, the, the foul mouth girl. I mean, she's a great character actress. She's one of those people you don't even realize you know. And then you, yes. start, then you start looking into her stuff. And Carrie Snodgrass, 
you know, not to get too far ahead. You know, and then that that mother, that Italian mother, yeah. she was great. She wanted him dead. She, I want him crucified. Her <laughs> eyes are like going cross. She's, oh man. But yeah, so yeah, uh, yeah. We'll talk about we'll talk about all the women, but this is a, a very uh, female dominated movie, and they all pull it off. They all stand their ground with Bronson, which is great. Yeah, it really it was ahead of its time on on uh, on a lot of levels. Yeah, not on purpose, but I think yeah. it, it was. <laughs> yeah. So Bronson tells Frank, "It's like, look, I'm looking for your brother." And uh, then, but then the next scene, we see this woman arriving by bus. She goes into a phone booth. She makes a call. And uh, then we cut to a scene in a park where she is waiting on a park bench and uh, this this gruff old private detective comes up and sits next to her. And they have this conversation where she asked him to get a bunch of addresses and phone numbers. And he's playing coy with her. It's like, yeah, I got him, but it took me, you know, I had to work a little harder than I thought I had to work. So uh, it's going to cost you extra. <laughs> and they, they start haggling and she gets up and leaves. And the guy's like, he tries to haggle again. And then she just pulls out this gun and he turns to jelly the, the minute. And I can't believe you would go to a, I can't believe a seasoned private detective like that would go to a clandestine meeting like that and not have a weapon himself. You know, what he, what she asked him to do was shady to begin with. So he had to know that she wasn't on the up and up. Uh, so why you would, maybe he felt, and this is what a lot of men do in this movie. Maybe he didn't felt didn't feel threatened because she was a woman, which was his first mistake. Right. He thought he was going to walk all over, but um, it was uh, he was wrong. You know, he's mistaken. Like this was one of the baddest, you know, bitches. I mean, in, in the history of film, she tells she tells him, "I want you to say ah," and she sticks the gun in the mouth gun in his mouth and just <laughs> blows him away and right. yeah and he was that was lawrence tierney uh i don't know if you recognized him but he was he was in reservoir dog yes he was the reservoir dog. i did recognize him he was the guy the movie that they, since 1945 yeah, yeah um, he looked like a he, he looked like a like a really tough guy like yeah yeah she makes him say ah like that disturbed me when i was a kid that yeah. part yeah. So now we know that at least one of the 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 bad people in this movie is a woman, which you didn't see, you didn't see a lot in the eighties, where you know, you had a psychotic woman going around killing no, people. There was a handful of them. There was a handful. Was, yeah, that was kind of like I think I I'm not sure, but I'm wondering if they were trying to like play off the. Um, the uh, popularity of like Fatal Attraction. No, that Fatal Attraction was eighty-seven, but there was like those movies, you know, with the crazy. There wasn't necessarily action movies, but uh, the crazy woman kind of. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but but this uh, uh, Carrie Stodgrass takes it one step further. She's not only is she crazy. She's sort of she's physically able. You know she's. She's using her smarts and her brawn to to take out these men who have wronged her in her mind. I, I I mean I liked it. I liked the fact that the that 
the psychopath chasing Bronson down was a woman. I thought that was great. She was great too. Like she really, she, she made that, like we were, we were discussing it, but like, um, um, on my thing, but like, I never thought about this before, but she's probably, no, not probably. She's definitely top five. If not, if not the most, uh, um, as like a sadistic uh, villain in a Bronson flick, you know, like um, I, she's she's definitely up there. And as an actress, she looked like she was really enjoying that role. Like she really played it up, you know, killing her probation officer yeah. and everything. So at this point, we don't really know what's going on. We know that she's asked for some phone uh, for some phone numbers and addresses, and we know that she's uh, crazy. Uh, so she blows him away. And then the next day we see her stalking Bronson. She's taking pictures of him. So we obviously know that one of the addresses was Bronson. And I think uh, this is the point where we find out that uh, Bronson is getting, he checks his mail and there is a divorce decree in the mail. So this is where we find out that he is, uh, his wife is divorcing him. And uh, really moving on too, like moving into a life of stripping and living at the tuxedo terrace with the uh, club owner. Yeah. It's like, it's that typical where one person is moving on and and Bronson is definitely not moving on. He he's dwelling in the past and he's drinking because the next day he's at work and everybody is commenting on how shitty he looks. Uh, And And this is this is one of the eighties. It's like everybody knows that Bronson is drinking at work, or well, not at work, but he's because you see him take a flask too, right? So yeah, so he's got booze on him at all times. And uh, I don't think he was much of a drinker in real life because I'm a recovering alcoholic, and as much, as big of a fan as I am of his. I don't think I never think he plays drunk or hungover very well. He just holds his head. He holds his head a lot. I've heard mixed stories. You were talking about mixed stories about Bronson being nice or being mean. I've heard mixed stories about I've heard he was a heavy smoker, but I've but I've also heard that he was like a, a really big health nut as well. So I'm not I don't know which one of those to follow, but I do agree with you. I uh, because he was if you see some pictures, he was in pretty good shape there uh, in his oh, 60s. Yeah, yeah so, definitely. And yeah. he, um, I know he was a smoker, but I, I know that he quit, um, I want to say, in the early, late 70s, early 80s. Okay, that makes sense. That, that makes sense, yeah. But uh, while we're at the police station, we meet this guy who I'm going to call a dick cop. The guy, this 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 cop is a bit is the biggest dick in the world and he and him and Bronson don't like each other because as you stated before we haven't seen this yet but we're going to his his wife I don't believe his she was a stripper before, while they were married but I believe after she left Bronson she became a stripper um right like she doesn't seem like the type of character that would have been married to his character and it's like did this like did she have this just profound life like change, like the midlife crisis or something? Like, I don't know. It's- I don't know either. It's, it's <laughs> really weird, but the Dick cop comments, it's like, I saw your wife last night or are her tits as good as the, you know, taste as good as they look. And Bronson punches them out. 
who says that to somebody at work? Yeah, <laughs> nobody. Nobody says that to work. You know, <laughs> even if you don't I, like, even if you don't like a person, you don't say that to somebody at work. You know, <laughs> I'd like to see that whole cast. Everybody, every one of those cops in that uh, in that office, drugging the human resources. <laughs> yeah. But then we've got the typical ball, you know. You know, Murphy, get into my office. In the, you know, <laughs> it's like there's. Uh, th- I love this movie. This is a. I, I, this is one of my favorite Bronson movies. And one of the reasons I love it is you get like you you get the stereotypical Italian mother. You get the stereotypical. You get the stereotypical boss. You know, Bronson in my office. You you do better straighten up, all right? You know, it's going to be your badge. And it's going to be your gun. Now get out of my office. <laughs> yeah, Jack Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> What a cop name. That's a cop name. That is a cop name. And, all, and the cop that doesn't like him, like, that's an ongoing theme in almost every 80s action movie. And then, you, and, and you never, in this particular one, I have no idea why the guy doesn't like him. I mean, it tur- well, we're going to find out that he's not on the up and up, but right. I don't, I don't get it. No. Be working together. Yes. They need some team, team yeah, building. Yeah, they need some team building in there. What is it? Zig Ziglar. They need to get some Zig Ziglar in there or something. <laughs> I'm going to rewrite all these movies for uh, <laughs> PC culture. We should. That's what definitely we should write. We we should rewrite every 80s action movie, but make it PC and see what we come up with. He's dragging scumbags off the street to get them <laughs> rehabilitated. So while they're at the office, Bronson's partner gets a call. It's like, hey, Antonio Vincenza. They, they spotted him at the airport. And this is, an, and the next scene is going to tell you how old this movie is. They go to the airport, Bronson and his partner. They spot Ant- Anthony. So Anthony puts his luggage down, opens his luggage, and in his luggage is a typewriter. And in the... <laughs> And in the typewriter is a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely pre 9-11. Yes. Uh, yeah, definitely pre. Uh, yeah, those are two things you'll never find in an airport. A gun and a typewriter. <laughs> and he looks like Kenny Loggins for some reason. Yeah, he does. He's got he's got sunglasses on. He's got the big feathered 80s hair. And he's got <laughs> he lost his medallion. He's wearing another medallion. So he obviously had a backup medallion. Because he was, he had that well, on. He's Italian. Way. Yeah, he's Italian. They got him in like a, you know, like a napkin dispenser at home. <laughs> now, but something <laughs> happens in the scene, which is so Anthony grabs a a hostage, and Bronson and his partner start chasing him, and he starts running with the hostage, but he gets tired of running with her, so he puts the gun to her head and blows her away. And why would you do that? It, yeah, and I mean, it looked, I love practical effects. It looked, I don't want to say this woman getting her head off looked great, but it looked great. It was like he was running and it had to be done with, I mean, I, I, I don't know how it's done, but he's running with her and he gets tired of it. So he he shoots her in the head and her brains just splatter all over the wall. It looked, I mean, it looked great in the middle of that action scene. Jack Murphy should have said, Oh, now you're really in trouble. Yeah. You're going to clean that up. Yeah. 
but Jack Murphy's going to be in trouble. So Jack Murphy, mo- he, he, he guns down Anthony at the airport, blows him away. And that's when we get the Italian mom in the next scene. Mama, Mama, the car's waiting. It was a good boy. Decent boy. Brother is dead. What are you gonna do about it? I'll take care of it, Mama. On that bastard cop's date. Do you hear me? I want him crucified. Yeah, they don't waste no time going right to the right to the funeral. This movie He's does not waste time. Uh, one wraps thing the I... story up in a nice little uh, convenient package, I think, to make it kind of easy to follow, I think. Yeah, it's easy to follow, and the pacing is nice. There's always something happening, and there's not much, and it's like you said, it's a simple story. We don't need much exposition. But one thing I always harp on is pacing. I, these movie, you know, you see a movie that's an hour 45, and it's just like you could have cut 15, made that movie an hour and a half, made it tighter. Uh, but we don't have this problem in this movie. The pacing, because we go right from the airport to the funeral, and Frank is there, Anthony's brother, and his mother and the mother gives that, you know, I want him, I want him dead, Frankie. I want him dead. He's like, I'll take care of him, Ma. I'll take care of him. <laughs> I want that cop crucified. She's got the uh, veil on her eyes. Yes. Oh, man, she was great. It was great. Yeah, I love it. I needed more of her. Yes, I would have liked, I would have liked Bronson to, gone after, to go after her. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> have a showdown <laughs> between Bronson and an Italian mom. So it's a... He poison. You can poison her with a cannoli, like he did in Death Wish Five. Death Wish Five. I'll be a happy blimp. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I love when, I love when. Uh, anytime that um, a, a killing can become like racial or like, <laughs> it's like yes. Oh, you're a, you're Italian. You're Italian. A cannoli. <laughs> so our next shot is uh, Bronson is at the strip club now, watching his wife strip. So basically, now Bronson is just torturing himself. Oh, um, doing this. Remember, he's, he's like. Yes. Why do you do this to yourself? She says, I'm a dancer. Yeah, that because I'm a dancer. Because well, I'm a dancer, Jack. You, you call that answer to too, too many questions in the 80s. You, you know? call that dancing. <laughs> if only that could I'm gonna start answering questions with that. Yeah. Like questions that have no like correlation to dancing. <laughs> so we get a little exposition here as you said before the wife has moved on she's stripping and she's moved in with the owner of the club and bronson follows them home and then the the psycho woman follows bronson so everybody's following everybody at this point and bronson follows him home and he gets disgusted and he leaves then he goes back again the next night i don't know if there's another scene in between Yes, the scene in between is uh, Bronson's buying booze and he finds, uh, finds the, the woman who stole his car. Yeah, Arabella. He finds Arabella. So he chases Arabella. I don't even know where they were. It, was some, it looked like some sort of station somewhere. It uh, looked like that, that 
it looked like that open uh, farmers market. Slash yes, fish yes, market that's what it looked. Yeah, but did I you think notice the movie was in San Francisco? No, it was Hollywood, wasn't it? Yeah. I don't even know. I don't know. But did you notice the pay toilets? She runs into the ladies' room and there's pay toilets. <laughs> Oh, I didn't notice that, but I did notice the woman saying, you can't come in here, yes. Charles Bronson. Oh, man, because I remember pay to, I don't even know, they might still be around, but pay to, how, what kind of sadistic, you know, a pay toilet? It's like, I really yeah, got to yeah. go, man. I'm pretty sure they do. They have to somewhere. They have to. Some, somebody's making money off of somebody's small bladder. But she takes, uh, but Bronson takes her in. And just to, just to be clear, Annabella, is that what was her name? I'm sorry. Arabella. Arabella. She's got she has the foulest mouth of anybody. She's always she's always calling people names from the start of this movie to the end of this movie. There's only one character in this movie that she doesn't call names, uh, but she has the foulest mouth. And what's funny is she just go off on Bronson and Bronson doesn't say a word. He just rolls his eyes and, and just and just drags her along. He doesn't have any. So, and some of the things are, are very foul, but some of them are very childish, you know, like yes. dinosaur dork. Right. Uh, butt crust. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so my favorite was sucking doorknob, <laughs> which they don't do. But times have changed. People, they, they've been, they realize that that's not, yeah. <laughs> and he can go into the, I don't know what I'm saying. Never mind. <laughs> well, like you said, now he goes back to the strip club. Yeah. Okay. And torturing himself again, torturing himself. And honestly, this is probably something I would do if I, you know, if I would probably torture myself well as well doing this. It's like, oh, that, that's one of the when you have like you get me like a personal shock in a movie, you see something, you're like, you know what? I would probably do that myself. So I can understand where Bronson is. I, I don't I, I mean. I wish he wouldn't do, I wish he'd move on with his life, but then I can see why he wouldn't, because maybe that's something I would do in that situation. Maybe not now, but at at one point in my life, I might have. Yeah. If he's going to drink, he might as well drink where his wife's tits are. Well, he calls her a, he calls her a whore and he walks out and he gets into his car. And once again, this is the eighties. So nobody locks their cars. I don't Yeah. That's an eighties thing too, where, Everybody can sneak into the back of somebody's car because nobody locks their car. And Bronson gets into his car and then the psycho lady knocks him out and puts him in the passenger seat and she gets in the front seat. And then Bronson's wife and the owner of the club drive back to the apartment. She follows him in Bronson's car and takes Bronson's gun and blows them both away right in the, you know, right in the front doors of the apartment building. Tuxedo Terrace. Tuxedo Terrace, yes. The dirty uh, bl- uh, drapes and uh, no screens in the window. Well, at, and during the scene, it's raining. So I find this quite hilarious. Uh, so the psycho woman blows these two away. And then one of the tenants in Tuxedo Terrace looks out the window. And from a good ways away is able to give uh, the police not only the description of a car, but the license plate. I'm like, really? He read that license plate from that far away. Well, he does like a comical double take. He's hanging out the window because there's yeah. no screen. It's a shithole. Yeah. And uh, he you know, fiddles around with his glasses. He does the whole thing. You know what I mean? Like, 
he sprung to that window like his whole whole uh, meaning in life was to one day catch a license plate after some kind of event. But yeah, it's kind of a comical. Yeah, it almost has like a guy. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the guy funny. is a—he's very comical looking, and uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's 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 supposed to be a comical scene, a hilarious it's, scene after Bronson's wife, yeah, right after right after a double homicide, hilarious. Uh, <laughs> she goes back to Bronson's house, parks the car in front of his place, gets out, and Bronson wakes up in the passenger side of his car, and he's like, "What the fuck? I don't know." She go? Does she call a cab, or she can't call an Uber or nothing? No. So from what I, yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. Yeah. That's what you see. You know, if she, maybe she drove her car there and then took a cab to the strip club knowing that she'd be driving back. So who knows? Not then, important. Not important. Uh, but then we get the scene where the cops are at the apartment and the, the comical guy's like, it was this kind of car and the license plate was blah, 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 blah. And then it's the next day and the cops are there to uh, arrest Bronson. You're still hearing his voice yeah. as the um, as the they're hanging on the door. Yeah, yeah. It was a nice. Uh, there's a couple of really nice transitions in this movie. Some good uh, camera angles and some nice transitions. It's a really well made movie. Yeah, I think it's one of Jay Lee Thompson's better, better um, Bronson flicks. They, you know, they the Dick Cop it figures it's Dick Cop and his partner. They arrest Bronson. And they take him in, and then we have the typical interrogation scene. Hey, did it ever occur to you guys that I'm being framed? <laughs> <laughs> and and then he like accuses them of being gay, which like nowadays, like that scene wouldn't exist because there's nothing wrong with 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 a person being gay. <laughs> but it's just it's so out of it's so uh it's antiquated the it's so 80s hilarious it's, it's so 80s yeah back in 80s referring to somebody as being a homosexual that, that was a that was a main insult that a lot of people would use and actually it happens again We're, it's, he does it like two times in a row uh but yeah he, right. he, it happens right after right it's, after it's, yeah there's no spacing out between <laughs> it it's like what's wrong with this character yeah <laughs> but i like what he says to those two he goes maybe that's why you boys we'll spend so much time together and my friend pointed out like they're they're partners they're police partners of course they spend a lot of time together well the ballistics come back and it was bronson's gun that killed him so now they're like for sure that he's done it they're dying to pin it on him yes oh this guy has a giant he he's waiting to get something on bronson so they put him in they put him in lockup oh no first there's another he has a a media a short scene with his lawyer and his lawyer's like, well, you know, we completed down the manslaughter. And since you were drinking, you know, you'd probably only get eight years, maybe out in three. And once again, Bronson's like, I didn't do it. This is I, I did not do it. And everybody's just like, whatever, drunkie. And so they put him in lockup and he they, they handcuff him to Arabella. And she, you know, once again, she starts she starts in on Bronson. And then Bronson starts in on the gay. I bet you like girls. You're going to love it and lock up. You'll have, you know, and then so he's going down. He's basically, you know, telling her that you're going to be held down and girl raped in prison. But you're going to but you're going to like it because you're probably he calls her. He 
hands down calls her a dyke, but you're going to like it because you're probably a, you're a dyke, right? And uh, yeah, <laughs> it was a bit, it was an amazing scene. Yeah, well, he's doing <laughs> it for a reason, right? Yeah, he's doing it to make her mad that she'll start punching on him, which she does. So that brings the officer from outside into the cage. Bronson gets his gun, orders all the police officers in the cage. He he starts escaping with her. They're on a they're handcuffed together, but they're not standard handcuffs. It's about I would say about a foot. You know, it's not the the ones you'd use on one person. So there's like a, a foot gap between the handcuffs. So they're you know their wrists aren't they got a little bit of wiggle room. Uh, it's maybe like a like a chain gain handcuff or something like that. So now they're running through the building handcuffed together. And the stupidest uh, uniformed cops are chasing them because yeah. he goes and hits the buttons on the elevator and then they take the stairs. And instead of a couple of them taking the stairs just in case, they all just wait where the elevator is supposedly coming. All of them. It's, it's like it's the epitome of putting all your eggs in one basket. All of them run down to the bottom floor. Like he's taking the elevator down to the, you know, he's taking the elevator down to the lobby. Everybody. And nobody got on a nobody got on a walkie-talkie and said, Hey, there's a couple of people loose, so don't leave a helicopter running on the roof. He's running up the stairs and Arabella starts giving him shit again. I really like this scene because it just it showed you know the just the quiet, I, I, the quiet violence of Brian. That's not the way I'm phrasing it improperly, but she's like bitching and bitching and bitching. And he just grabs her by the neck and he pushes her against the wall. And he's like, look, we're, we're doing this my way. You're coming with me. So the shut up. And he's like squeezing her neck and she's like, okay, okay. And I thought that was a nice scene to, to say, you're only going to push Bronson so far. And because even if you are innocent as, you know, or as innocent as she is in this, I'm getting out. So if you're getting in my way, I'm not going to let you get in my way. And she's like, okay. And then they finish running up the stairs. The helicopter. Yeah. To the helicopter, which he can fly. Um, He can fly it. And it's, uh, it's running and waiting. And people up there don't know anything about two people escaping. I need to see your clearance. Here's my clearance. <laughs> Here's my clearance. Now, and he's then, in. He's in. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I think they say that they talk him into throwing the gun down. And then he does. Like, why does he bother? Why does he throw it down? Why doesn't he keep it? But that's all right. It, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah. He takes off and they shoot at the helicopter and it doesn't do any good. And Bronson's in a helicopter over Hollywood. And uh, oh, Airwolf, I believe it was. Yes, Airwolf. Um, funny. That's a funny one. <laughs> well, while they're up in the air, guess what? They're out of gas. They run out of gas. Hey, Airwolf, where the hell are we going? Oh my God, what is it? Damn, we're out of fuel. What do you mean we're out of fuel? Oh my God, we're out of fuel! Oh my God! I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I I don't want to die. I don't want to. Hang on now. Hang on. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I I don't. 
I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Hey, we have already landed. Why was that? Well, I guess maybe somebody was supposed to fill it with 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 fuel. Well, when you let your yeah. when you keep your helicopter running, of course it's going to go through fuel. It's like turn that puppy off. Gas is expensive. So. No, but maybe somebody's going to come run it up here. It really needs it. <laughs> we should leave it running just in case. Just in case you need it. Yeah. That's what I do. I keep my car running in the parking lot in case I need to get out of here quickly. Just hop in and go. Not a bad idea. So Bronson lands on the roof of this barn. The helicopter comes crashing through the top of the barn. It just so happens that the barn is a uh, a pot barn. It all these guys are are growing pot. Another um, thing that would be no big deal nowadays, right? But evidently, it was a huge deal in '86 because did you? Because they've got these rifle. They've got these huge. I'm not a gun guy, but it's just like wow, that is a lot of artillery to guard pot. And they have like crazy, like '80s bad guy getups on. Like the one oh, guy's yeah. got like a leather tank top. He's got like a leather white beater on. Uh, you mean business if you're wearing one of those? Yes. If you're if you're wearing a if you guys if you're wearing a leather wife beater, yeah, stay out of that guy's way. Yeah, and I believe one of the the those people was Bronson's stepson, uh, Joe Ireland, and David McCullum's son. Paul, I believe, was one of those three guys. I, I thought I recognized one. Be wrong, but if you look at the cast of that movie, way, way, way down is him. And it's the name sounds like it would be probably like a biker gang member or something. <clears throat> so these guys get him out of the helicopter. One of them hits Bronson on the head and knocks him out. And now we have we have our typical uh, rape scene in a canon movie. Right. Because because the weed guys try to try to rape Arabella while Bronson is knocked out. Not having none of it. Uh, Bronson wakes up before they can do anything, and he disarms one guy, and he gets a hold of one of the rifles, and he tells them uh, he tells them not to not to move, and and they make escape. So they escape in their uh, they have a red pickup truck, and they make their escape in that. They don't have to hotwire it because the keys are in the ignition. <laughs> she she actually said this. Oh, can you believe it? The keys are in the ignition. <laughs> the, those the movie it, it's a vehicle for uh, Bronson to 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 kick some ass and, and you know kill a few people. And the story's always a little you know it's it's not a. It's not a Raymond Chandler, you know. Right, I, mean? I understand that, but sometimes it's just when you see something like that. Hey, the keys are in the ignition. Oh, that's great, right. because nobody ever does. Because nobody leaves keys in the ignition. Platform guys, they probably like. Well, just, they probably forgot. Yeah. Yeah, it's the yeah they were they're a little smoked up or that or like, it's just the farms like they don't expect it a helicopter right mm-hmm. you're not in the middle of the farm you probably leave the truck running you drive over here you know pick a bale of hay well i guess they don't pick a bale of hay <laughs> but whatever whatever pot farmers do but before they leave bronson shoots uh their uh, they have a, a row of uh of uh, motorcycles and bronson with one shot blows up three motorcycles you're not having such a good time now are you yes. badass that's one of my favorites and uh, then we get to uh, Bronson takes him to a cabin and they walk into this cabin. And when I it, like 
I know this cabin. I know this cabin. This cabin was the cabin in Friday the 13th, part four. Really? The final chapter. Yes. Wow. Uh, I And I couldn't, it like, it took me a second. It's like, I've seen this cabin. I know. And evidently that cabin has been in quite a few movies, but from where I recognized it from was Friday the 13th, part four. So that's, that cabin is a very famous shooting place. A lot of people use it. I don't know why, but they do. But they they walk into this cabin and Bronson passes out from his head injury and Arabella picks the lock. And so now she's free and she goes to make a phone call. And then this guy on crutches comes in with a shotgun and, tell, you know, and she's like, and he's like, what are you doing? He's like, your friend's in the other room and he's hurt bad. And she says, Jack Murphy. <laughs> and so this was Bronson's first partner. Once again, he, he, uh, he stitches him up. And uh, this is the one character in the movie that Arabella does not call any names. He's nice to her right away, and she's nice to him right away. So, I mean, basically, this tells us that the name calling is just a defense mechanism. If, you know, she's going to, if somebody's going to treat her bad, she's going to treat them worse. But if you, if you show her a little kindness, she'll show you a little kindness back. Another character in the movie that this could have just you know, had a little therapy, you know, would have helped. You know what I mean? Yeah. A little human resources, a little sensitivity training at the at the police station, and a little therapy for Arabella. That, <laughs> and maybe even uh, jo- Joan Freeman, the, the murderer. That'll be the sequel that we write. <laughs> she survived. Well, we won't say. I, we, won't, uh, we won't get there yet. No spoiler alert. No spoiler. Yeah, yeah. Once again, it's a short little sweet exposition scene. This guy was Bronson's old partner. He got shot in the back. He's paralyzed. So that's why he's off the force. Boom. Quick and easy. It's not long. It's not drawn out. We know we know what we need to know, and we know it in an efficient manner. I got to ask you a question. Okay. Because this came up on my podcast. Nobody else caught it. So I'll, if, you, you, if you say you didn't notice it, then maybe I'm the crazy one. But when he says, she says, what, well, how come you're not a cop anymore? He said, or what happened, whatever happened to him? Because he had the crutches. He said, I was shot in the back by a 16-year-old girl. And she has a look on her face. And I think you're supposed to think that it was her. Something that she did when she was younger. I didn't catch that. I want you to watch that scene again. I'll watch it again and see what I think. Take uh, the step. She stops. She's turning from the sink and she stops for a second. Almost like she has a bit of guilt on her face. I, I want to know what you think about that. Because I feel like ever since I was a kid, I thought that's what that meant. And then they were trying to, my friends were saying, well, maybe they thought maybe it was that the, the murderer who was loose. I said, I don't think her crime was when she was 16. She, she didn't look that young. No, I don't think so. I'll, I'll take a look at it. Uh, now I'm interested. I'll take a look at that. So Murphy wakes up. And he starts drinking immediately. And those two start bickering. So Arabella Arabella leaves. And Bronson's old partner comes back in and goes, you know, you're, you know, you're stupid. She's leaving. And uh, so his old partner gives, you know, gives him a gun. Now Bronson is out to find who's, you know, who's framed him. Well, he, he at this point, he thinks he knows who it is. He's, he's wrong, uh, but we'll get to that. But as Bronson leaves... We get a POV shot. So this, so this is what was going on in my mind. 
we get a POV shot of the cabin. And now that I realize that that cabin is from Friday the 13th, part four, I'm getting a Jason Friday the 13th vibe from the point of view shot that's looking at the can. I, I, in my head, I'm going. Yeah, you know, now that you say that, it, it, it did have a horror, kind of a horror movie vibe to it. It did, totally. And I think that's what they were going for. Yeah, maybe subconsciously it felt that way too, because maybe subconsciously I recognized the cabin, because who, you know, in the back of my conscious. But no, it did have a, it had a point. It was a POV shot, but it was also like a slow move towards the cabin, wasn't it? If I'm yes, correct? yes, very yeah. slow, a, a very stalking. Very interesting. See, that's something I didn't even think about. But then I didn't know it was the Friday the Thirteenth cabin at the time. So now we get this this tense scene where. Uh, we know that somebody's there and and it's made even more tense because this guy is on crutches so he's already at a disadvantage and we know that so and we have a pretty good idea who it is because we just see this hand come out of frame and take a rifle off the wall and he's doing dishes and he thinks you know his friends come back he's like you know murphy is that you and this psycho, she kicks his crutches out and he's lying on the floor and she has this rifle right in his face. And you think there's going to be dialogue, but there's no dialogue. You know, we don't get it's you or remember me or nothing like that. It's all silent. And And she just blows him away. And I like that. It was silent. I like that. We didn't have any cheesy, you know, see in hell or, or anything like, you know, we didn't have any cheesy one-liners there. It was just all silent. It, the, that whole scene, I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the POV shot. I enjoyed the stalking. I enjoyed the, you know, it being tense. And then I just, you know, I'm just going to put this rifle in your face and blow you away. It's all part of the job that I'm doing right now. I had fun with him like she did. Well, I don't want to go get into it, but yeah. further down the road with some of the other kills. Why don't we try not to spoil it? Do you really think that there's some, that, that that there's listeners that, that haven't seen these Roxy movies that are like, you know, I wanted to watch that movie, but I'm just going to listen to two guys. I guess, I guess you're right. I guess we can spoil it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. I, I like to, I like to think that maybe there's somebody out there who's, who's uh, visiting all the Bronson movies. For the first time. Guys. For the first time. Yeah. Uh, so Bronson pulls up in the truck to Arabella and he gets her in the truck. Hey. Look, Murphy, why don't you just go away, huh? You're a jinx. Every time you show up in my life, things go wrong. First, I get arrested, right? Then I get railroaded into this jailbreak. You know, why don't you just go away before an airplane falls on me or something? I'm sorry. I mean, you're not a bad guy for a, a cop. It's just that... I don't want to get involved in your problems, all right? I, I got enough problems in my life. And uh, don't worry, when I turn myself in, I, I won't tell the cops where you are. Thanks. Now get in. Get in. I must have boogers for brains. What the hell am I doing here? Now they're going to try to find out who's framing him. They pull over for some food. We get the typical, and this is this is 80s as well, and I miss this in movies. 
the paper, the, the, the headline in the paper, it's like uh, escaped, you know, <laughs> escaped cop with, you know, with accomplice and it's plastered all over the front. I always miss those were great scenes. And, you know, they'd always slam the newspaper down. What the hell is that? And there just be this big, you know, escape cop, and it's just uh, you don't get that anymore. I like when they find out that they that the person that they're they're the ones wanted for the murder through the front of the paper, like they think I killed so and so too. Like that didn't happen in this one, but I like that in the eighties films. Like they, they they haven't caught on that I'm being framed. Yes, yeah, and that's. <laughs> And that I, I'm, I gotta, I, I'm gonna talk about that later too. But yeah, it's because honestly, in life, what are the odds that you, you being framed? It's it's more likely that you that Bronson did kill his ex-wife. And the you know the police are are on the right trail in my opinion because it's more likely that Bronson killed his wife, his ex-wife and her boyfriend than he is framed for this murder. It that is the more likely thing to have happened. But they're like, yeah, you're right. It's like, how can they believe I did this? I'm being framed. <laughs> Where did they stop to eat? Because that was always a big thing in 80s movies, like getting a taco or a, with cops. They always ate like really crappy food. They did. And it was a really crappy place. And I think it was just hamburgers or something like that. Uh, but it was like this. It was a seedy hamburger joint where they stopped and ate. Now Bronson thinks it's Frank Vincenzo. He thinks it's the brother of the guy that he blew away. I can see why he would think that, but he, I, I, do you think framing like this uh, 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 Frank, you know, it doesn't seem like he would frame Bronson. To me, it would seem like he would just go out and order a hit and have it done. All this, all this having him framed, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really jive on how I think Frank, you know, would go after Bronson for killing his brother. But I can see why he would think that because this just happened and it's, it's still fresh in his mind. And he doesn't know about the other, he doesn't know about the cycle yet. Not what Vincenzo's mother would want. Yeah. <laughs> he just wanted vengeance. She didn't want to play games. Uh, but now we cut to uh, the psycho lady. We cut to her in a restaurant and she's got a wig on and she's all, she's all done up in this fancy restaurant. There is this older man in the restaurant and they lock eyes and, by the end of the night, he goes over to the table and he does it standard. I know this is corny, but have we met before? And she's being coy. It's like, have we? Please join me for dinner. And they sit down and they start. And then we cut to, we cut to his, we cut to his place. She's giving him a bath in this, the most awkward bathtub I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> We, we did discuss that on my show, too. The one guest that we had on, that was her um, big big uh, beef with that scene. Like, where is that bathtub at? But she's she's being playful, playful with this with this older guy. We don't know who it is. We're going to do spoilers. Turns out it's the judge that sent her up. She just up and up. She drowns him in the bathtub. After she drowns him, she goes upstairs and gets a lamp and throws a lamp in the bathtub, but it's just so awkward. It's like, so there is this inside window over the bathtub. What was that? I, you know, I wonder how you would research to find out what that was. Like, that, it, it, it has to be a real place, right? 
Yeah, it has to be a real play. I doubt that would I that does not that did not look like a set to me. That looked like that was they probably shot in somebody's house or mansion uh there in Hollywood. But it was just so it was it was an awkwardly small bathtub. The ceiling goes up like th- three stories. It's it it's hard to explain. It's just a really awkwardly placed bathtub. And obviously and there was I there was no shower head, so it was just a bathtub. It was just it's just really weird. But she ends up drowning him and then electrocuting him in his bathtub. But Golan and Globus, right? They're Israelis. They're Jewish guys. You think that... Have you ever seen in a movie where they do the... Spitzvah? I forget what it's called. Sitzvah? There's a thing where Jewish people have to go in the water. It's a, it's a religious ceremony. I have not I seen that. In the radio dial... Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to look into that. Well, now we pull up in front of another apartment complex and this is where Frank, uh, this is where Frank, uh, uh, Vincenzo uh, lives. So they, they do the ploy of, they send in Arabella. There's two security guards out front and they send in Arabella and Arabella's like, my, my truck has a flat. Can you guys help me out? And there's two guys in there and one's a stud. And he sends out the other guys like, hey, Earl, go go uh, fix the flat and I'll stay in here with this young lady. And he goes out to fix the flat and Charles Bronson just clubs him, knocks him out. And then Arabella's part of the plan is to uh, seduce the other security guard and get him up into another an empty room in the hotel. Or I I think it's an apartment complex, not a hotel. Sorry. Sorry, I was (laughs) I was Googling. It's called a mikvah. A mikvah. And if you look up a mikvah, is they're they're kind of. I'm wondering if that was in one of their homes. That's all <laughs> I'm thinking. That's all I'm saying. One of the homes is one of the guys for Canon Films, because they are from of Israeli descent. That's all I'm saying. I I, I didn't mean to to take too much time with that. No worries. No worries. Love it. Love it. But I I maybe I'm thinking too much. But if you know about them, I mean I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm honored to be your first guest, by the way. I'm your first guest ever. You're my first guest who I did who I who I did not know beforehand. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, yeah, that's cool. That yeah. works. And uh, so this plan really depends on one of the security guards being super horny, wanting to take her up in the room. What if the security guard was gay? What if the security guard was a woman? That. <laughs> what if the security guard had a, you know, a shred of morals and didn't want to, didn't want to sleep with anybody, a complete stranger that walked through the door. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, you know, for the sake of, uh, I think in the eighties, everybody was ready to go. Yeah. Most you're right about that. Were. Yeah. Most security guards were, it was the Spuds McKenzie era. I don't know what Spuds McKenzie has to do with any of this, but. So Arabella takes a security guard up to one of the apartments and Charles Bronson follows him upstairs and he ends up knocking him out. And then they go up to the penthouse and that is where Frank is. And Arabella walks out with a pizza box and says, you know, I'm here. And she gives this, I forget which name, but it's this stereotypical Italian name. Hey, I'm here for, you know, Eddie Italian. It was just a really like stereotypical Italian name. 
Like, I'm here for Eddie Italian. He ordered this pizza, double sausage and pepperoni. Who's going to give me nine <laughs> bucks for this pizza? You know? Right. And these security so guards a, right. these are the most inept security guards ever. Right. Which I believe they probably are sometimes or often. Because you can't get to the penthouse without a certain key. Right. So the minute that somebody walked off that elevator that wasn't supposed to be there. It's like, you should be on high alert. They obviously have done something to get to this floor where they're not supposed to be. But once again, they see a woman, they don't think anything of it. And once again, it's to their detriment. Yeah. They, 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 no, they weren't the best. And and I would think if you were um, Frank Vincenzo, you would want your best guys on that door, especially with Jack Murphy out there. You know what I mean? You would think his mom, his mom, you know what? His mom wasn't involved with that. She would have never uh, allowed. She would, she would have got better people on that door. She should be running the Vincenzo family. Well, she, well, at the end of the movie, she is. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> so we get into Frank Vincenzo's room. Here's one thing that that bothered me. In a lot of, we clearly see that Frank Vincenzo, he has these hearing aids. He has these really, he's wearing these really big hearing aids. I guess guess they were small for the 80s, but they're really noticeable. You know that he's wearing hearing aids. And I thought, okay, that's going to come into play somehow. Bronson is going to use a hearing. It it never does. It never comes into play. So it just bothered me. It's like, why is he wearing these hearing aids? It's never mentioned. They're never used against him. It's like it this I it's like you said, it's one of those weird little things that bothered me when I saw those. And that it never came, came back on, into play. That came up on my podcast too. And I was my theory is that he was trying to add something to the character, like memorable, like you know, Marlon Brando put the put the uh cotton in his mouth to do the godfather, or like um Rod Steiger in Love and Bullets has the stutter. Like like you know, like a, for some reason, bad guys will have some kind of deformity or I I have a feeling like it wasn't written into it. Like that actor thought, oh, I'm going to I'm going to do something real amazing to make this character unforgettable. And then I don't know. That's my theory. It's a, it's a ridiculous theory. But it's, it's well, at theory. least it's a theory. At least it's something. Um, right. It never came into play. There was no reason for it at all. Um, unless well, maybe that actor is just hard of hearing. Well, you know what? And I thought I thought of that as well. I go, maybe that's it. So I'll look some more stuff uh, that he's in and see if we can find the hearing aids. But we we go into the room and there's there's porn playing on on a on a big screen TV. And a big screen TV from the 80s is a big screen. It takes up half the room. And Frank's about to get a blowjob on the couch. Right. And then Bronson sticks a gun in his face and Arabella takes the woman into the other, into the bathroom. And, and then Bronson just starts throwing Frank around the room through this glass table into the wall. Like a rag doll. And he, like he, he really would disappoint him to his mother, Like he hadn't even done anything to get vengeance on Bronson yet. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. His mom didn't see that. That would have been very disappointing to his mom. He would have beat him and Bronson with a rolling pin. It would have been over. <laughs> Bronson starts firing bullets. He gets down to one. He says he gets down to one bullet. 
and he starts doing Russian roulette. He's like, give me the name of Frank. Give me the name of the guy that framed me. And Frank's like, I don't. And I thought that the actor who played Frank, he, he did groveling fantastic. He, he was a fantastic groveler. He's like, I didn't know. I don't know what he's doing. And he's like, he's, you know, he, 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 he looks scared. He sounds scared. I thought he really, he did a really good job at. Uh, yeah, he definitely was great. He, um, you know, when on my program, I always, I get the actors names and I looked them up and all that him and the, and the Dick cop have almost the same um, career. They're both in a lot of like cop shows. Um, oh my God, Richard. I know his name, his brother, the, the groveler guy his brother in real life was the moon from um fast times at richmond high oh okay arabella's like you know what i don't think he did it and bronson points the gun at him and this fires and goes there's no bullets in the gun frank and this walks (laughs) and this is this was great too after they walk out they keep the camera on frank and he's just crying he's just crying and sniveling you 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 get out of like a, a death a death defying consequences or something like he's just sitting there on the ground crying and sniveling. It's like, wow. I, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm not an actor and just, just to be able to pull that off is something that I don't think I have. I, I, I could never pull that off really realistically. No, no, he's a pretty good, he's, he's in a lot of things. I, I, I can't believe I can't think of his name right now, but he played a lot of um, mafia guys and this and that. I, I want to say, he might have even been on the somebody in the movie was on a couple episodes of the Sopranos. I believe it was him. We go to a parking garage and Bronson has now gone to his current partner and he's gone to him for help. And uh, Bronson's at his apartment. He's like, I need a list of all the people that me and my ex partner put away. You know, his partner's like, I don't know, man, I might get in trouble. And Arabella's like, help us out, butt munch. And she's, he's like, why don't you shut up? And, and Bronson's like, why don't you both shut up? All right. And then we go, and like, and, and like we've said, it's pacing. We go from Bronson trying to get information from Frank to we get that small exposition scene with his new partner. And then we go back to Frank. He's like, $10,000. Anybody who can tell me where Jack Murphy is? The partner was was he was he dirty the whole movie? Not the partner, the guy that hated Bronson, James Luisi was the name of the actor. I think so. I think he was dirty the whole movie. At the end, when we, when we get to it, we'll right. get to it. But at the end, he's like, "You're on the wrong side, Frank." So right, I think right. he's been on the. I think he's been on the wrong side all along. Right. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Yeah, I didn't mean to jump ahead. I wasn't sure about that. And the bad guy was Richard Romanus, and he was on a couple episodes of The Sopranos, the Vincenzo. Uh, now we're at we're at a scene. Now it, it gets a little weird. Bronson's shaving in the bathroom, and Arabella is like lovingly watching him, and he's yeah. like, "What am I a television?" This is a flirting scene between Arabella and Bronson. It starts in the right. bathroom and it goes into the kitchen. How old are you, kid? Why? Just wondering. As in how long have I been stealing cars? I know to you I'm just a lowlife. But the way I see it, man, being a thief is better than being a whore. I never said you were a lowlife. Hey, 
your sandwich. How old are you? Too old. For what? <laughs> You're not so bad. You stop the boozing, you look a lot better. Thanks. I'm serious. Besides, personally, I like a molder. Is that so? Is it true what they say about cops? What? That they're, um, their guns are substitutes for their wangs. You count on it. Oh, yeah? Prove it. At this point, I looked it up. Bronson was 64. She was 22. So Bronson was 43 years older than she was while they're flirting with, flirting, with, flirting with each other at the kitchen table. Yeah, that's uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable. It's like, no, man, it's like, don't do that. It's, it, it's he, he could literally bend her grandfather. Right, um, right. Not that he couldn't pull it off in real life, but this, no, I'm not saying no. I'm not saying that he couldn't pull it off. Uh, a of lot, a lot of guys have, but it's none just like now, man. <laughs> none of his characters really like had that kind of chemistry with their with their uh, co-stars, unless he was like near their age or something. It, it always looked kind of weird. Yeah, that's you know? why I liked. Uh, when it was Bronson and Jill Ireland, I, when they played a couple, it was like they, you know, they looked like a couple. It, right, you know, they age, were. Yeah. Age, yeah, age appropriate. It wasn't awkward. It wasn't weird. But this is just, this is just awkward and weird. It's like, dude, forty three years. That that is a you are a grown person older than she is. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's literally a kid. I mean, that's a kid. That is twenty two. Is a child. Yeah. Uh, we get a phone call from Bronson's partner, and he's got three names of the people that him and his partner put away. And one of the names is Joan Freeman. The minute he hears the name Joe, Joan Freeman, once again, we get the newspaper, Judge Electrocuted in Bathtub. It just so happens that that is the <laughs> front page story. Judge Electrocuted in Bathtub. Right. It, it, it's, I love what they consider front page news in these movies. And then Bronson's like, what was the name of the judge that put her away? And it was like, it was a so-and-so judge. So now Bronson knows who it is. And right. from his partner, he finds out where she is staying. Because uh, I, I guess since she was has a parole officer, they would have to have an address for her in the system. That's the only reason I could tell that they would know where she would be staying. We cut to the psychos hotel room or, or apartment and her parole officer is there. And this is where she's we show how tough she is because she's lifting weights in front of the mirror while her parole officer is talking to her. And uh, I love that. That whole scene is amazing. It is because the prosecutor and not the prosecutor, the parole officer, she doesn't know what to think. It's like, I, Oh, so you are making progress, but you're not making progress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. 
the, the, the probation officer, she should have just like kind of talked to her through a car window or something like she should not have been in that apartment. That wasn't safe. No, but this was a lot of 1980 movies, especially canon movies were were pro gun and pro violence. And it was really anti bleeding heart. It's like, you know, you can't help these people there. They, once they've gone bad, you can't reform them. Right, and, right. And that's what they were really stressing here. It's like right. this, she was a really good probation officer who really wanted the person to do well. I, that's a good point. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, they're really driving that point home that like, no, this is a bad guy, yeah. bad woman. They cannot be changed. Because she has the she has one of the best lines in the movie. She's about to strangle her probation officer and she goes, you really shouldn't have let me out. I am crazy. And just strangles her with a lamp cord. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Bronson and Arabella show up at uh, at her apartment. They talk to the guy in charge and he, you know, and he gives up the, the hotel number or the, yeah, the uh, apartment number. And while they go up, he pulls out a paper, opens it up, and Charles Bronson's picture's on the front page of the paper. Newspaper like, was really, t- that newspaper was really like a big player in the movie. It was. The newspaper should have gotten the credit in the opening credits, yeah. He recognizes the name, and he calls, and you, th- and I think they were trying to get us to think that he called the cops, but he doesn't. He calls Frank Vincenzo and Frank send over a couple of goons to take care of Bronson. He's got them. You know, he's got those goons. Yeah. I don't know where they were, but because I don't know where they were after his brother's funeral, you would have thought they'd be right on him. But honestly, you're right. They probably Bronson shouldn't have been walking around at all. It's like right after the funeral, they should have been right on this guy, uh, right on Bronson to take care of him. Maybe they were giving it some time, so it wouldn't look too obvious if Bronson gets killed the day after the funeral. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you're true. That's true. I didn't think they thought about stuff like that. But yeah. yeah. Uh, they go up to uh, the psycho's apartment, and they find the probation officer. This is one of the comical scenes that there's nothing worse than an action movie trying to be funny, and it's not. But this scene where Arabella opens the closet door and the body falls out and she just does this straight take. It's like, Murphy, could you come in here, please? Right. It was like, that was a, she did, she delivered that line. The take was perfect and she delivered the line perfectly. So now Bronson's like, we got to get to New Hampshire or whatever. We, uh, there's a reason for that. <laughs> we we got to go to New Hampshire. Why do we got to, we just got to go to New Hampshire. And they walk out of the apartment and Frank Vincenzo's guys are there and they start shooting at Bronson and Bronson has a gun. So they start shooting back and Bronson and Arabella, do they go down the fire escape or the back stairs? You know what? I forget. Yeah. They go go down down one of them. Yeah. They go down one of them. And then once again, because, and once again, Charles Bronson has his magic gun. He shoots at the car once and it explodes. (laughs) Yeah, he was good for that. Yeah, Bronson knew exactly where to shoot a vehicle to make right. it explode. So now they're on their way to New Hampshire, and she's like, why are we going to New Hampshire? And it's like, well, the prosecute, the person who prosecuted her 
He lives in New Hampshire. So we got to get to him and protect him. So they get to New Hampshire and they just walk into this high's house. They just walk in. It's like <laughs> they don't knock or nothing. It's just like they just wander into this guy's house. So now they're calling out. They're looking for him. And uh, the psycho lady, she's in the house and she chloroforms Arabella because they split up. Arabella goes upstairs and Bronson's, you know, checks out the downstairs. So where Arabella goes upstairs, uh, she gets chloroformed by a psycho lady. And then Bronson finds the prosecutor with a plastic bag wrapped around his head. And uh, so now Bronson knows that she's there and he runs upstairs. You know, he's Arabella, Arabella. And uh, written on the mirror, it's like, and this is a this is a, a trope too. It's like, meet me where it all began, and that was at the Bradbury Building, and which is also in a lot of movies. Yes, most famously, Blade Runner. Right. Yeah. And is it named after uh, Ray Bradbury? I have no idea. I don't yeah. know. I, that that some kind that's some research that I could have thought of doing, but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't do it either. So anyway, uh, Bronson calls the the police station and asks for the you know asks for his partner and he's not there and he asks for the chief and he's not there and it's Dick Cop who answered the phone and Bronson's like uh, I know who's framing me and I know where they're going to be meet me at the Bradbury Building and 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 bring everybody you know you know bring the chief and bring bring all the you know precinct number four and meet me there the dick cop hangs up and we see Bronson's partner walk past him and Bronson's partner's like, Hey, what's up? And the dick cop goes, yeah, nothing. So now we know that there's something up with the dick cop because he didn't let everybody, he didn't let his partner know that Bronson just called. And uh, now we're, we're heading to the, we're heading to the climax. So Bronson shows up at the Bradbury building we see Arabella. She's tied up. And when you first saw her tied up, did you know that she was at the bottom of an elevator shaft? Not at first. I didn't know. I didn't either. I didn't. I wasn't sure where it was because we see some elevators go up and down. I'm like, oh, well, she's obviously not in the elevator shaft because the elevators are going up and down. But uh, but Bronson arrives and the, the psycho lady is there with a crossbow. Shortly after Bronson arrives, uh, the dick cop arrives with Frank Vincenzo and a couple of goons. So now we know that, you know, the, the dick cop is dirty. He called Frank Vincenzo and Vincenzo's like, go in there and get him. So the, so the dick cop walks in, walks right up to Bronson and, and Bronson is just like, okay, well, she's in here somewhere. It's just like, how, why would you think that your word, like these cops are not just going to arrest you right there and then? Right. They're not just going to take your word that somebody has framed you and they're in this building. It's just, that was a little hard for me to get my brain wrapped around. It's like, these cops are going to come in and storm the building and arrest you, Charles Bronson. They're not going to think that there's a psycho in there with a crossbow, even though there's a psycho in there with a crossbow. Right. But then the psycho shoots the dick cop with a crossbow right in the neck. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. And now, and the psycho, she's now taunting, she's taunting Bron Bronson, um, you know, yelling throughout the building. Because you, you said this before, she didn't have, it's not really explained why, it's like, she didn't try to frame all the other people involved. 
I guess she had all of her hatred for Braun. It's not really explained why she, because I guess all these people are integral in her going to jail. But the other people she just killed systematically. But Charles Bronson, she's torturing. And it's not really made clear why he's the right. one that, that's that why she's doing this to him. Then the co- then uh, Frank comes in with his two goons. And I really like the fact that now, you know, now Bronson has two things he has to worry about. And and the the you know Vincenzo and his gang, he doesn't know about the about the crossbow and then the crazy lady she doesn't know why these guys are here it was a it was a it was a wonderful amount of confusion at the end um and i i I, it wasn't confusing to me i mean i knew what was going on but i thought i've got to deal with this woman the crossbow oh shit here comes frank vincenzo i got to deal with him and his goons and i've got to rescue my friend uh you know this 22 year old who i'm going to sleep with later (laughs) <laughs> so Charles Bronson systematically takes out Vincenzo's guys and he takes the best part is Frank Vincenzo shoots one of his own men and he thinks right. it's Bronson and then yeah. Bronson gives that yeah <laughs> never don't fuck with Jack Murphy <laughs> a callback call from, yeah. from early in the movie yeah Blows him away. And then the psycho lady, she starts the elevator that Arabella is. So Arabella is tied up at the bottom of an elevator shaft. And she starts the elevator. And then I guess Charles Bronson just somehow knows that Arabella is at the bottom of the uh, of the elevator shaft. So Bronson has to run down the stairs and gets there. He barely gets her out from under the elevator. And that's when she, it's like, and she's like, what took you so long, butt cheese or whatever she said. Uh, yeah. And then she gets shot in the back, right? Right. With a crossbow. And that's a, don't you think that would be a fatal wound? Oh yeah. 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 Definitely. I mean, yeah. you're supposed to think that, I guess. You're supposed to. Yeah. Uh, but then Charles Bronson gives one of, no, he gives, he yeah, gives one of his. a serious. Yeah. He serious gives one of his one. serious nose. He goes upstairs to confront her and and she either runs out of bolts for her crossbow or she puts it down. And uh, she takes a she takes an axe off the wall and Bronson Bronson goes up there and she she swings the axe at him and misses his head by an inch. And then she swings the axe again and cuts his stomach. Uh, but then Bronson does this move where he he jumps down the stairs, kicks her, and they're like, what, six, seven stories up at this point? Yeah, they're way off the ground at this point. So he kicks her over the rail, and somehow the axe becomes wedged, becomes wedged between the floor and the rail. So she's holding on to the end of an axe, and she's slipping. And Bronson is, Bronson is standing over her, and then she starts begging for her life. Please. 
Ladies first. Which is weird, I thought, but yeah. Yeah. But the way they staged it, it's like she wasn't hanging on to the rail. She was right. hanging on to the handle of an axe. And if you've ever right. handled an axe, you know that those are like, those are slick. They, they, those right. have absolutely no traction on them. I believe she had some kind of leather gloves on too. Correct. You are correct. So she had, she had leather gloves on and you can actually see her. I don't know how they pulled it off. I don't know how they did the shot, but you can just see her slipping on the axe and like the terror in her face is, is real. She's a really good actress. The terror in her face is real. It's just, she's like, help me, help me. And this is where we do get the uh, a one-liner. Uh, Bronx is not known for his one-liners, yeah. but we do Couple get one. Them. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, go to hell. And she and he's like, ladies first. And, and she's, yeah, she slips off the axe and falls to her death. And then the next scene is the ambulance. And uh, Arabella is alive. I don't think she should be after having uh, getting shot in the back with the yeah. It might have had two endings, and because sometimes movies would have original ending, and they're like, "Nah, that's too, you know, sad for the for the audience." Because they might have wanted her to be kind of a breakout, kind of like quirky star. Who knows? You know what I mean? Yes, I do agree. Yeah, a lot of a lot of times a movie will reshoot an ending. They yeah, the test audience doesn't like it. And uh, Bronson, yeah, because Bronson's in the ambulance because he got got the axe across the stomach and she's in the ambulance because she got an arrow in her back. And they have a nice little scene there at the end. And then the door closes and the credits roll. And that's Murphy's Law. Yeah, with that 80s music. that Oh, yeah. 80s soundtrack through this whole thing. And that was uh, his stepson, Valentine McCollum and Kathy. Oh, Arabella McGee had something to do with that soundtrack as well. She's a musician. I really enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed the pacing. I enjoyed the cheesiness. I enjoyed Bronson. This is a a really good popcorn movie. I enjoyed it too. And I think, um, and I enjoyed doing this. If you would have told me 20, no, 30 years ago that I'd be doing this one day um, on a pot, I would probably would have said, what the fuck's a podcast? But I mean, (laughs) This is just a lot of fun. I'm thinking since, uh, you know, Gail Morgan Hickman, who wrote this, um, also wrote Death Wish 4. So you're going to have to come on this week in Charles Bronson when we do Death Wish 4. I love Death Wish 4. Yeah, I think that moves at a good pace, too. Uh, so, yeah, maybe. So when we do that one, you're going to have to come on our show. I will. I'll be happy to go on your show and do Death Wish 4. And speaking of your show, why don't you promote it here right now? Where can we find you? All that jazz. So it's called This Week in Charles Bronson. We pick a movie. We talk about the movie, but we also take the date of release, talk about the music, the TV and movies that were out at the time. If something was going on in the news, you can find it on Spotify, um, maybe somewhere else. I don't know. I always just listen to it on Spotify. We record it on Anchor, so I don't know. And oh, and we have a Facebook page this week in Charles Bronson, and we invite the fans to like you know, you know, watch it. We we let you know what movie we're going to be doing ahead of time, and we invite you to to be a part of it. And like you know, and anybody out there, we we really want people who never saw Bronson movies before. That's a that that's a big thing that I like to at least have somebody on each episode that's like a newbie. So that's kind of fun too to see their 
their faces as you know i mean or well i don't see their face but to, <laughs> to hear their surprises because a lot of them are younger being in comedy i know a lot of younger people so yeah this week in charles bronson i'm eric todd and uh yeah that's it yeah i'll put the link in the description of this podcast make sure it gets out excellent awesome brother and i gotta get going because I'm, I'm i'm well i'm not as old as you but i'm old and i got a kid but this was really a lot of fun brother it was a lot of fun, and thank you for doing it. And we'll see everybody here next time on the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. See you all later. All right. Bye-bye, bud. Bye. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash Scott White and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. This should help people find the podcast when they're searching. Uh, no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. Al? Al, did you get him? Why don't you come up and get me yourself, Frank? Remember what I told you about Murphy's Law? You remember what I told you. Don't fuck with Jack Murphy. has been a Cross the Streams Media Podcast.